This is a little out of the ordinary for intros, but I came across this and I thought it would be kind of cool. It's going to be a very short intro, but I thought it'd be fun. It's a journal article I found entitled The Fermi Paradox Revisited Techno Signatures and the Contact Era by Amory Wandell, published in December 2022 in the Astrophysical Journal. And I thought it'd be interesting because we have covered the Fermi paradox and the Drake equation in a previous episode. Yeah. I'm just going to go over the abstract. And if you find it enticing, by all means, go check out the Astrophysical Journal. The article's right there for you to read in full. So a new solution to the Fermi paradox is presented. Probes or visits from putative alien civilizations have a very low probability until a civilization reaches a certain age, called in this paper the contact era. After the onset of radio communications, if biotic planets are common, putative advanced civilizations may send probes not to any plants showing biosignatures, but rather to planets with technosignatures, such as radio broadcast. The contact probability is defined as the chance to find a nearby civilization located close enough so that it could have detected the earliest radio emission, called the radiosphere, and sent a probe that would reach the solar system at present. It is found that the current contact probability for Earth is very low, unless civilizations are extremely abundant. Since the radiosphere constantly expands with time, so does the contact probability. So the contact era is defined as the time since the onset of radio transmissions, at which the contact probability becomes of order unity. At that time, alien probes or messages become more likely. Unless civilizations are highly abundant, the contact era is shown to be of the order of a few hundred to a few thousand years, and may be applied not only to physical probes, but also transmissions. Consequently, it is shown that civilizations are unlikely to be able to intercommunicate unless their communicative lifetime is at least a few thousand years. So just to break that down a bit, this was not one of the answers that we had to the Fermi paradox. But what they're saying is if you are a technologically advanced civilization, you're going to want to focus on things that are more likely to give you a positive response when you're sending out messages. So what they're saying is you're going to look for planets or stars that are giving out radio communications that seem odd or seem like they're manufactured instead of just spraying every planet that has biosignatures on it so that you could actually communicate with what you're trying to communicate. And that means that what you would actually be looking for is specific windows where the radio signals that you've sent out can actually reach other planets. So until Earth's radio signatures are far enough out that they might be seen or heard by other life forms, we can't really expect to hear communications back. No, and I feel like, did we talk about this? I can't remember, it was so long ago. But if we're sending something out into space, it's such a tiny pinpoint. The odds of it, it hitting is, but, anything, I think, But every small. year it expands. And that's the big thing. And that's why they say for there actually to be communications, your technological window needs to be a few hundred or a few thousand or a few hundred thousand years so that you can actually receive a response to. Yeah. And space is so, so big, though. It's just going out in one, one direction, is it not? Not all directions. It's going in all directions. Oh, it is. Okay. Yeah. Because you would be doing the radio signal. Wait, was I wrong? Yeah. Okay. But yeah, because we are at the dawn of the radio age, more or less. If you look at it at the grand scheme, specifically yeah. when we're talking about a few thousand years for your window, we're it's very unlikely at this point to receive your responses back. But as time goes on, you're more and more likely, if there is other life forms out there, to receive a response. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and that's just a very rough breakdown of what these guys are talking about. Ch go check it out if you want something a little dry, but exciting to read nonetheless. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, it is a scientific paper. <laughs> Yeah, it is, but it's an exciting thing to think about. Like, what if it yeah. gets out there and hits a planet? Or terrifying. 
yeah. happy or terrifying. Yeah, but. because that also runs into that other problem of the Fermi paradox is that there is a malevolent life form out there that is just yeah. looking for radio communications to eat up everybody. Yeah. <laughs> we must have good sources on this planet to be living. So yeah, it's, <laughs> I do really like that there are the two exact opposites right there. They're waiting until yeah. we get that to them so that they can come eat us. <laughs> exactly. We are delicious. But yeah, I, I feel like it's a fun read, so go check it out. For now, let's get on with this episode. Okay. From the unexplained to the mundane, why don't you come join us on our journey to the fringe? Hello and welcome to Journey to the Fringe, now recorded in the past, which is much easier than the omnipresent we were doing. We are, or at least were at the time, your podcast hosts, Taylor and Chelsea, here today talking about some cryptids. It's been a while since we did that, all the way back, well, our New Year's episode technically. More more specifically, it's been much longer than that. Yeah. But let's not hold back anymore. Let's get into those cryptids. Chelsea did them, so yeah. I don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> I'm just trying to think, what was the last cryptid that we talked about? Moth person. Oh, right. That was a while ago, though. I think it was November. And plus, I came up with a new follow-up to moth person, Owl Man, which is going to become Owl Person when we do that episode. Owlman. Um, because you have not. <laughs> Owlman. <laughs> because there's no sightings of owl penis on it, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, it's cryptid time. I put together <laughs> Oh god, Chelsea, I, I hope you're ready for the genital related questions that will come. I always am. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just click on the heading genital when genital when the questions come up. Um, You've got a heading okay. for each genitals. Yeah, genital sightings. <laughs> backstory the backstory okay. of the genitals <laughs> okay. let's move off the genitals and to this episode it's cryptid time i put together a random you can't separate those two topics chelsea episode and genitals are one <laughs> not on this one <laughs> damn it that's only anything related to do with moth person or anything ending in person because they're labeling it man of course we want to talk genitals now for the third time. I've put together a random assortment of cryptids you more than likely have not heard about. So let's talk about them and see what we think. The first cryptid of choice today is the Lovelang Frog, coming to you straight out of Ohio. What is so cryptidy about the Loveland frog and how is it different from an everyday regular frog? Well, this creature is said to be a humanoid creature with the face of a frog and body of a person, essentially. It's a bipedal cryptid with the face of a frog. And it's been described as roughly four feet tall with green leathery skin. He or she, oh shit. <laughs> I didn't put a genital section in this one. I was just going to say, because you said the head of a frog, no, body of a no, human. No, it's a frog. Can't and the frogs genitals be both? Can't, can't frogs be both? Well, they can be hermaphroditic. It usually has to do with the environmental yeah. factors for Yeah, them. I remember with that Alex Jones split. Yeah. This crap. Gay. Frogs freaking frogs. It's not funny. I'm going to say it real slow for you. Gay frogs. <laughs> Yeah, and no, to be fair, be if it way. is frog genitals, I wouldn't know how to gender it. So I'd just say it's it's he, it's, she, sure. Yeah, it's an it. Uh, that's good enough. But to be fair, it wasn't gendered <laughs> to begin with. It's the Loveland frog, so we can yeah. continue. Well, I gendered it by accident. so I We sure talked about his genitals anyway, so don't worry. 
as any cryptid episode does. Okay, it walks upright and has webbed hand and feet and all the sightings have been specifically in Loveland, Ohio, which I didn't even know was a place. So we learned that on this episode at the very least. And he's famous in the Ohio parts and he's, it has even been made into a musical. It's called Hot Damn, It's the Loveland Frog. The legend goes back to 1955 when a businessman, but I'm not sure which business he was the man of. It didn't say. He was he was driving along. The businessman was driving along an unnamed road late at night. It's all very vague. For business purposes, yes. Yeah, sometime in May. <laughs> it's all very great. He was heading out of the Branch Hill neighborhood. No idea where that is in Loveland. They put it in, so it must be important when he spotted three figures standing up on their hind legs. Now, I just want to point out right here something I find interesting, which is the way they describe this, because how would you otherwise know they weren't just standing regularly on two legs? That's not how we would describe just a person walking, generally, that's bipedal. You wouldn't say... No, you wouldn't say they're standing there on their two legs. Those damn damn punk kids were standing there. On their hind legs. On their hind legs. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. So I found that odd. Could just be a part of the storytelling of a part of the legend that they're trying to get to that it was abnormal or something. Maybe. But I just wanted to point that out. Anyhow, each was about three to four feet tall with leathery skin, frog faces, lopsided chests, whatever the fuck that means. I have no idea. Wide mouths without lips and wrinkles instead of hair. In most versions of the story, the creatures are spotted under or over a poorly lit bridge, and one was holding a wand. (laughs) Sometimes described as a bar device that sheds sparks. That sounds like a much more scientific, logical way to say wand. Yeah, that really is. Yeah. (laughs) This did not sound crazy. I've already (laughs) spotted a frog on its hind legs. Yeah, I can't make this too out loud. I, at that point, why don't you just say Roman Candle, though? Or does he not know the term Roman Candle yeah. at this time? Because no. that <laughs> seems like the better way to explain it. Doesn't A bar-like like object it. shooting sparks. <laughs> shit sparks. Yeah. They really broke it down I'm... to the most logical thing possible. Well, he had to use what his businessman brain could like yeah. just comprehend exactly. with the business. Exactly. I really gotta wonder what business he's in. <laughs> Humans do not generally stand on hind legs, that is for sure. (laughs) These are our hind legs that we walk on. (laughs) Yeah, so it definitely wasn't a Roman candle. That is the business that he was in, for sure. Otherwise, he would have really pushed that and used it to his advantage. No, you know what? But he could be in some sort of competitor firework. Where it's kind of like taboo to bring up Roman candles. It's true. That is so true. (laughs) That actually makes a lot more sense. You can't even say Roman candle. That makes a lot of sense. It's good advertising. It's all coming together now. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So next part of the story. Want to take a stab at the aroma that filled the air when he saw these creatures? I'm going to go with sulfur. You know what? That's what I was thinking too. But it was, get this, alfalfa and almonds. (laughs) 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 It's That's true. It's true. I for sure was guessing sulfur as well. God, this businessman confuses the hell out of me. I know. I could not tell you those smells. Like, no, I have no idea what the fuck alfalfa is, other than a little <laughs> rascal. 
<laughs> he was talking about the kid. He's got a lot of hair gel. Smelt of hair gel, you know, happened. like alfalfa. Yeah. Okay, forget this. Forget all of this okay. happened. We're moving on to another sighting. Well, you can still remember it, I Wait, guess. Wait, is that where to. it ends? It was just sparking bars and smelt yeah, of alfalfa and, and that was like it? like alfalfa and almonds. That was it. Anyhow, that was the that's, the, that's the end of my he, Yeah, he just drove home and like lived his life. Went on with his business ways. Exactly. Probably making fireworks. <laughs> See, I now that he knows so much about alfalfa, I'm kind of feeling different. <laughs> I, know. I know. It's weird. It's that that's the weirdest part of this story, I think. Was the smell. And and to me, if you're identifying that smell, yeah. like that means that you wouldn't be expecting to smell alfalfa. But at the same time, know the smell and are smelling it. So I, You're I familiar kind of feel like with alfalfa and all. Yeah, it's not like there's a field right there where they were growing alfalfa, where you can like easily identify. Oh, that's the smell. Even yeah. though I couldn't do that because I don't know what alfalfa <laughs> looks is, like. So this is so unexpected. I'm smelling of alfalfa and almonds. Right? I and don't even is know if I could tell seen. you that I'm smelling almonds in a moment. See, that one is a little easier, just because a little. It, it, not I know what much. marzipan smells like, and I don't know if that would necessarily be the smell I would identify as almond, yeah, but, no, but I could neither, see that as at least a smell. Marzipan isn't exactly almond. It's pretty much all almond. <laughs> yeah, it is, but I wouldn't... I've also put I, almond extract marzipan, I'd be like, this smells like marzipan, not almonds. Hmm. Anyhow, we can move on from this because there's another can we? lighting. We can. Our <laughs> yeah, it's changed. I feel like this is going to stay with us. I'll be forever in search of the smell of alfalfa. Not the little rascal. I also figured out what I really want our logo to be now is a, a four-foot frog-like <laughs> creature standing on its hind legs with a spark-shedding bar in it. Yeah, that would be really nice. And I don't know where I've seen before, like a frog. Is it like Futurama or something? A frog the with a crown? No, that's the, the Hypnotoad on uh, Futurama. Oh, it is. Yeah, that is what I'm picturing. Because they're a race, aren't they? Yes. And a cape. Okay, that's what I'm picturing. He must have had like a, what are they called? Cypher? Like the thing you rule with. Oh, a scepter. Scepter. I was close. Okay, so on to the next sighting. In that you can forget, we'll never forget the alfalfa. We can forget the businessman. In 1972, there was a sighting by a police officer. That's right. March 3rd, 1972, of course, Ray Shockey, a Loveland police officer, was driving on Riverside Drive near the Totes Boot Factory and the Lil Miami River. It actually goes by Little Miami River. But Lil sounds so much better and it means the same thing. So it and yeah, it's Lil. It. You gotta shorten the word. Yeah, Lil. I have no time to say little. The word the little should not be it. bigger than big. It shouldn't. It you're right. It seems wrong now. It should at most be the same size. <laughs> Because then you're not showing any deference, but... Yeah. Yeah. Point of the matter is, an unidentified animal scurries across the road in front of the vehicle Ray was driving. Said animal was illuminated in the vehicle's headlights, and Ray described it as about four feet long and about 50 to 75 pounds, which I find to be a weird detail. Like, (laughs) I just saw something that's 50 to 75 pounds. I wouldn't say that unless I tried to lift it, and even then, it's sketchy if I'm telling you how much something's weighed based on me lifting it. (laughs) 
Would you and just especially, estimate something's weight like I, that? I could not, mostly because it would be in frog form, and I just couldn't, like... Yeah, I can't estimate like how much frogs weigh. Anything, even a human. I don't think I could tell you how much it weighed accurately. I'm not one of those freaks See, at the carnival. No, I but that. I, I think cops kind of have to do that because they're constantly giving, like, if a suspect is on the loose, they have to say, like, rough estimates of, like, height and weight. Yeah. Do you think they get tested on that at, like, the police academy and then oh, God, practicing no. for the test? God, they're just, no. like, walking around to their, like, family and loved ones being, like, 125. 165. You look like you put on two and a half pounds. Am I correct? I'm gonna update your record. <laughs> yeah. Just like asking how much they weigh and if they got it right when they guessed. Anyhow, I find that a weird detail that he estimated that. But you bring up a good point. Maybe he has to do that. With a frog? Or or something scurrying in front of your car? Like, I just don't see something scurrying in front of my car. It's about four feet long and 75 pounds. Yeah, exactly. But It's just odd. It is odd, but maybe as a police officer, just as much as you have to be constantly doing math, you also have to be guessing how much things weigh. Maybe. 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 So he first spotted the animal crouched like a frog obviously, because it's a frog cryptid. Then it stood erect to climb over a guardrail towards the river. Notice how we didn't wow. say it stood on its hind legs. I, I'm just glad we're past the genitals part. Yeah, that was our own doing, by the way. It wasn't a part of the story. <laughs> Two weeks later, a second Loveland police officer, Mark Matthews, reported seeing an unidentified animal crouched along the road in the same area of Ray's sighting. I wonder if this is anywhere near a nuclear power plant, by the way, to see frogs just get up on their hind legs and walk around like a human. I don't know if that's a thing, though, in real life. I, it's just the Simpsons episode. No, and this is somewhat reminding me of the Warner Brothers frog, where that it only, like, gets up and moves around, and in Warner Brothers sings and dances when only one person oh, is there. Oh, yeah. That was a good... I was just thinking about that episode the other day, actually. That's a good one. Yeah, that's completely right. It could be based on this. You never know. So anyhow, this officer takes a completely different method to seeing this creature. And he actually hit it. I shot it. I'm, that was... Hit it with a bullet. <laughs> that was a complete spelling error in my notes. He shot it. He didn't hit it. He pulled out his gun and he shot it and recovered the body and put it in the trunk of his vehicle to show Ray... In an interview, Matthews recounts, I know no one would believe me, so I shot it, he said. (laughs) (laughs) Man, I... Chelsea, I don't know if I want to go to Loveland or never go to Loveland. These people seem different. Yeah, they do. They're estimating the weight of things they see. They shoot things that if they think no one would believe them. And there's frogs with wands. <laughs> yeah. Thank God it wasn't some unicycler on the side of the road. <laughs> no one's going to believe me. <laughs> Get to him throwing the unicycle into the trunk of the car. He said, the thing was half dead anyway when I shot it. According to Mark, it was a large iguana about three to three and a half feet long. And he didn't immediately recognize it as an iguana because it was missing its tail. Now, the other thing in his story that I found strange is that the iguana was squatting on the side of the road. Did it not, like, stand on its hind legs? (laughs) No, it doesn't stand on its hind legs. We kind of get to that later in the story, but I don't, like, I'm familiar with what an iguana is, and I don't think they just squat there. They just, like, be 
They don't squat, yeah. right? I wouldn't generally say an iguana and would squat. I'm just looking at a description of an iguana from National Geographic. So they can be 6.5 feet long with their tail because their tails are huge. Yeah. But they're 11 pounds at six and a half feet long. So <laughs> that, that's sounding very different. He didn't <laughs> know, is. but... That, yeah. I mean, that other guy would have to be really off on his estimate. Like, really? And, I mean, if what we made up is true about them having to constantly be estimating people's weight, that wouldn't leave room for error. So Not with nothing. That. Yeah. <laughs> That's scientific proof that he's wrong. So it was speculated that the iguana was either someone's escape pet or a pet that wasn't wanted any longer and was released into the wild. I'm going to say it probably wasn't someone's escape pet because someone whose escape pet was shot by the cops would probably be pissed and you probably would have heard that it was like, um, that was my iguana. Uh, just on the darker side, the police actually kill a lot of pets per year. It goes widely unreported. Really? Unend underreported, well, yeah. I don't like that yeah. at all. So it could have been is what we just found out there. So I'm going to continue because that was a depressing piece of information. And this is a fun episode, right? Now. Yeah, it was probably the most depressing piece of information ever said on this podcast. That's not true. No, it's not. It's not true at all. So anyway, according to Mark, Ray confirmed that the creature was in fact the animal he had seen only a few weeks earlier. So this is where we can say, didn't he see it take a step over the guardrail? As iguanas do, because they're definitely <laughs> tall enough to just step over guardrails. If I did see an iguana step over a guardrail, I gotta say, I would probably be having nightmares about that iguana doing that, because it's not natural. Or maybe it is, I don't know, I've never seen it happen though, so... Matthews recounted the incident to an author of a book about urban legends, but says the author omitted the part that confirmed that the creature was an iguana rather than frogman. Hence, starting all the commotion about Frogman. This directly contradicts another co article I read that says no one gave interviews and it was just local word of mouth in which the story got around and leaked into the media. Matthews also recounted the Frogman story in 2016 again on WCPO Channel 9. In their interview, Matthews recounts, quote, Naturally, I didn't believe him in regards to Ray. But I could somehow tell from his demeanor that he did see something, Matthews said. Quote, Matthews eventually left the Loveland Police Department and went on to serve with the police in Milford and later Glendale. He has since moved to Florida where he said people still sometimes seek him out for his experience with Frogman because of the story's strange allure, though he no longer grants interviews. So that's the official story. I did hear in a few places, I was listening to some podcasts about this, I didn't actually see it written down or anything, that there was actually a lot more time between the two encounters with Ray, the first one, actually seeing the Loveland Frog, and the second guy with the iguana. And what they said was that Ray just kind of wanted to put an end to... Yeah, I was actually just going to ask, is that just an, yeah. like, it doesn't guarantee, but it could be an yeah. easy out from belittling and questions yeah. from people about what was actually seen. Yeah, I didn't come across that in anything I read, but it was brought up in more than one podcast that I listened about the interview... Uh, about this that it happened a, a while apart and that he just wanted to put an end to the ridicule that he was getting for witnessing something like this because he did stick with his story obviously but then when this came it was kind of something to say yeah that's what I saw 
It just doesn't fit exactly what his original encounter was. There's no way it could have. A iguana with no tail. Can iguanas live without tails? Yeah, they can in fact shed their tail to like escape. Prey. Oh, that's gross. Yeah. As a detail, I didn't. That that's gonna give me nightmares too. Apparently, iguanas in multiple situations would give me nightmares. They're kind of creepy. Yeah, There's a reason we are. live so far north. It's true. It's specifically because of iguanas and moth persons. <laughs> They haven't been sighted above the Great Lakes. Or west. Or west of the Great Lakes. It's true. Yeah, so that's the Loveland Frog. And we're moving on. Unless you have something to say about the Loveland Frog. I don't think so. You wouldn't think of a frog as a cryptid slash human. Something that has human-like qualities because it's an amphibian. But that was a nice one. Yeah, I've actually... I thought there were more sightings of it but no it is unique that there are a couple including by businessman yes businessman <laughs> from ohio god i'm so ohio curious about his business <laughs> <laughs> no. that's the most fucked up part of that dory right there <laughs> what was he doing what was his business he seems so busy that he didn't stop <laughs> yeah. but he did somehow somehow say we see didn't stop but he did smell the alfalfa and the almond yeah but that could have been the snack that he was just having in between business meetings he forgot about because he was so busy that's true that's true i gotta seek out some alfalfa in the near future just to know see if it's a distinct smell i'm just gonna carry around almonds as well so if i do come across it i can just combine the smells and know exactly what the loveland frog supposedly smells like so of course we're talking about multiple cryptids so i was like let's take a look around and see what else we have for weird cryptid encounters and did i find one of course i'm gonna find one so this one is the Hopskinville Goblin Encounter. Have we heard of it? Ooh, I've heard of a goblin. I can't remember if it's this one, but I, I believe it would be. <laughs> I don't know that there's many goblins out there. So this encounter took place in Kentucky, of all places, so you know it's going to be good. Even just an episode on Kentucky cryptids would probably make for a good one. So this is between the communities of Kelly and Hopkinsville. It must have been closer to Hopkinsville because that's the one you usually hear associated with the encounter, but it was, in fact, between the two. I wonder if there's a fight over the name, like if they've each tried to push the... Well, could be. Like in Kelly, they call it the Kelly Goblin Encounter. Yeah. But (laughs) generally, it's called the Kelly Hopkinsville Goblin Encounter, but that's what you hear most commonly. That's why I labeled it that. So the story goes like this. The evening of August 21st, 1955, so that's a long time ago... Five adults and seven children, which are two families, arrived into the Hopkinsville police station visibly shaking, claiming that small alien creatures from a spaceship were attacking their farmhouse and that they had been holding them off with gunfire for nearly four hours. That sounds exhausting. And by the way, the guns had no effect on these creatures that were attacking them in the farmhouse. Two of the adults... Elmer Sutton and Billy Ray Taylor claim that Billy Ray, whatever happened to that name, plummeted in popularity, claimed that they had been shooting at 12 to 15 short, dark figures who never entered the house, but repeatedly popped up at the doorway and peered into the windows. There were dozens of eyewitnesses to these incidents, which included two families present at the farmhouse and others in the area. 
some of whom had no connection to the families of the farmhouse and even one in another state. Doing there then. <laughs> yeah. Perhaps most significantly, the witnesses also included several local policemen and a state trooper who saw and heard strange phenomena such as unexplained lights in the night sky and noises that very same night. Not when they went to investigate, but... You say there's police officers that have seen them, but I have not heard a heightened weight estimate yet. So I I don't believe you. There's not one, so it's probably a hoax. Yeah. (laughs) Seven people present at the farmhouse claim that they were terrorized by an unknown number of creatures, even though I literally just said... How many did I just say? Nobody can know. That's the weird thing. (laughs) I was sure that I just said how many it was, but... And moving on, because I can't... I believe you said multiple. Let's just say you said multiple. I thought I said 14 or something like that. Who knows? I thought it was like 14 people were present. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't know. Okay, I'm I'm not even going to go back and read because I don't want to. Okay, so the creatures were similar to gremlins, which have since often been referred to as the Hopkinsville goblins in popular culture. Even on our podcast, that's what we refer to them as. The residents of the farmhouse described them as around three feet tall with upright pointed ears and limbs. The being's legs were said to be almost non-functional or devolved, even in a state of atrophy. Wow. Long arms and claw-like hands or talons. The creatures were either silvery in color or wearing something metallic. Their movements on occasion seemed to defy gravity with them floating above the ground and appearing in high up places and they walked with a swaying motion as though wading through water. Concerned about a possible gun battle between local citizens or city police, five state troopers, three deputy sheriffs and four military police from the nearby U.S. Army Fort Campbell drove to the Sutton farmhouse. They really thought they had an epic gun battle going on here yeah if they're like shooting as much as i'm guessing like and sorry i don't know how often they're shooting i'm I'm just assuming it's like non-stop shots out the door that that's what the picture conjures up doesn't it yeah that's what we're all picturing i'm sure yeah and and sorry as a canadian i'm just picturing a very stereotypical (laughs) gun response from an american family particularly in the bible belt (laughs) that's true because this is where it's happening and that's in all likeliness the reality of the situation they're even thinking it they're bringing in people from the u.s armed forces so i'm just wondering do they get into like the start of this altercation and how it devolved to gun violence or did it just start with gun violence like did they knock at the door did they just see it and say get into it i think they just saw it and were afraid that i don't know they're just afraid it doesn't say but that's what I'm assuming is they were just trying to protect them. It wasn't that a friend had just seen them and they wanted a body to prove to a friend? No, but we did run into this on the other episode where he just saw something that he couldn't explain. Yeah, nobody will believe me. So that could have been what they were doing in this situation as well. So they went to this farmhouse. It seems like it's in a rural area between the town of Kelly and... Neither of which towns I've ever heard of, so they can't be No, neither. I haven't heard of Loveland either, so we're really covering some geography on this episode. The police and other military, whoever they brought with them, their search yielded nothing apart from evidence of gunfire and holes in the window and door screens made by firearms. 
I mean, at that point, you got to believe there is something there, at least for them to have been shooting and damaging their property. Uh, or or they really need an excuse for shooting. Yeah, or not, given what we just admitted that we were picturing in our heads. Okay, so sorry, I just yeah. wanted to give a little bit of background. Hopkinsville has a population now of 31,180. And oh, uh, the picture, the picture of the town that they put for the Wikipedia page is the Presbyterian Church. So I don't okay. think it's a like has many monuments or things to do. So it, it seems rural. I was expecting you to say actually that it's the Goblin. Yes. <laughs> so they do have more going for it than this. This residents of the farmhouse included Lenny Lang. Uh, why do we have to list all the names? Glennie Lankford, her children, Lonnie, Charlton, and Mary, two sons from a previous marriage, Elmer Sutton, John Charlie Sutton, and their respective wives, Vera and Aileen. Aileen's oh God, brother, this sounds... <laughs> Opie Baker and Billy Ray Taylor and his wife, June. <laughs> Both the Taylors and Vera Sutton were reportedly carnival workers who were visiting the farmhouse. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> the next day, neighbors told two officers that the families had packed up and left after claiming the creatures had returned about 3.30 in the morning. So that's the incident. And I just went through the whole family <laughs> that was there. I'm not sure why that's an important detail of the story, but it is. I was and waiting for a Cletus to show up in that family. They're almost what? Yeah. <laughs> the sighting supposedly inspired E.T. Critters. And a Pokemon called Ruby and Sapphire is based on this as well. Officially, it is looked at as a complete hoax. However, there's not a whole lot other than the above information on the incident. So to me, it's a uh, mystery. That's all I could find. So Nobody saw them. No, and the police and military that showed up, they didn't actually see anything, did they? No, they just saw destruction. But apparently, yeah. in one part of the story, there were sightings of strange lights in the sky in the same night. Okay. Yeah. They don't actually seem violent or like they were trying to attack. Although, But they at the were same time, a gunfight did. And yeah. a gunfight did break out. So, I, I mean, Only we don't know the, the start of the... Of the... <laughs> yeah. yeah. It doesn't say the creatures had guns. So... It was and as far as we can tell, nobody was killed in that family or wounded or hurt. No, nobody was at all. Everybody escaped unscathed. Perfect health. I don't know about the carnies, but... Okay, so I have one last cryptid story, and I'm going to keep the strangest going. The next one, I'm very proud of this one. We're really getting around a really rotund cryptid feature today. It, it's a well-rounded and cultured episode is what you're saying. Very incredibly. If, if you end and up in a black tie affair <laughs> in the next little while, like you have your talking points. You have your fodder, yes. In between munches of caviar. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and sips of martinis or whatever it is the fancy people drink these days. This one's definitely going to help you with the, uh, what do they call it when you're like bumping elbows? What do they call that? The <laughs> small talk? I don't know. The social parlay? Yeah, that sounds better than whatever I'm trying to say. Okay, vegetable man. <laughs> <laughs> I get why you needed the fancy word. Yeah. I wasn't coming with it, but you you really You just 
You and just wait till the, the the vegetable board. There's a fancy word for it. Crudite. <laughs> yeah. When yeah. the crudite exactly. comes out, you can say, by the way, have you heard of vegetable man? If you're struggling on this night, just stand by the vegetables. And any crudite who comes up. You ever hear a vegetable man as someone's taking a bite of a carrot? Yeah. <laughs> Guaranteed, no one will talk to you ever again. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a true story. It happened to a friend of a friend of mine. During the waning hours of a day in July 1968, a bow hunter by the name of Jennings Frederick was out hunting outside Fairmont, West Virginia. As he moved through the woods, I had to click on Vegetable Man and I was like, holy shit, this story is crazy. Um, Chelsea, quick (laughs) clarification. Was he hunting with a bow or for a bow? Like a bow you put in your hair? Well, I I don't know. You said it was a bow hunter. So I'm just curious. Hunting with a bow or for a bow? I think with. Okay. Unless he lost his bow. Yeah. And he was hunting for it. And he does it a lot, so much that he's considered a bow hunter. He loses it all the time. So much. He actually just asks his friends to hide it in the woods. Because Jennings is a dumbass. (laughs) I mean, I don't know that this story proves otherwise. Sorry, it's a true story. This happened to a friend of a friend of mine. I'm sorry. It actually happened. As Jennings moved through the woods in search of game, okay, he's searching for animals. Frederick heard an odd noise. It sounded like a record player running faster than it should, a sort of high-pitched jabbering. When he tracked down the source of the sound, he came face to face with a creature. I need to say something. I mean, a record player shouldn't run fast at all. It shouldn't run at all. Yeah, you can't. What? It should run. No, it, it, it should play. It should not run. Okay. It, it just conjured up it was moving faster than it should, which is at all. Jennings is quoted as saying, Suddenly, there is a being with semi-human facial features, long ears, and yellow slanted eyes. Its arms were no bigger than a quarter. Its bodies resembled the stalk of a plant in shape and color, for it was slender and green. None of that fucking made sense to me in my head. Did you get that? I, I really tried in my head. I did not. Neither did I, and it's laid out right here in front of me. Its arms were no bigger around than a quarter. That's very small. Its body resembled no, the but around. Of... So how long were they? So they're they're normal sized arms, quarter. They must be like... regular, but not okay. Not, so they're sl- they're skinny. Yeah, I'm picturing like stick man arms. Okay. Yeah. Its body resembled the stalk of a plant in shape and color. What kind of plant? Like, is this a tree trunk? A flower? Yeah. Oh, it was slender and green. A pepper plant. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so a pepper plant. Okay. Okay, okay. We can go with pepper plant. Jennings would go on to say that the being looked weakened and sickly. The jabbering increased. Suddenly, he could make out the words. Hints at telepathic communication, it says in brackets. In quotes, you need not fear me. I wish to communicate. I come as a friend. We know of you all. I come in peace. I wish medical assistance. (laughs) I need your help. Okay. (laughs) With that, the creature lunged at him and wrapped Frederick up in his surprising strong (laughs) arms. Is this turning into a romance? (laughs) 
<laughs> Frederick was unable to break away from the embrace as the creature pierced his skin with the thorns on his fingers that were close to seven inches long. These prickly needles or thorns... Okay, now we understand Vegetable Man. Okay. <laughs> tapered down into suction cup shapes where the first knuckle would have been on a human finger. While it drained blood from him, Frederick found himself enthralled by the flashing colors of the creature's eyes. Then, almost as quickly as it had pounced, the vegetable man raced away up a hill. Before he could even react to this eccentric entity's plea for help, it seems weird that he would say, please help, and then attack him. It goes against all... Maybe it thought it had consent for help and it just needed blood, and it was a vampire vegetable plant. that's true. That's true. You bring up a good point. As soon as the vegetable man and its hypnotic gaze had vanished... Frederick felt the throbbing pain rush back into his now poke-marked hand. Interesting detail. Oh, it went into his... (laughs) Wait, sorry, when you were describing him getting stabbed, was he talking about his hand or the vegetable man's hand? His. Okay. It took his blood. So when it disappeared over the hill, it had... I missed this part. It had gravity-defying steps that had carried it no less than 25 feet. Okay, so it, like, ran away weird i guess and fast as the pain returned he also felt a swell of panic as he raced away from the scene of his encounter he heard a deep humming sound which frederick later surmised may have been the propulsion system of you of the ufo taking the ostensibly alien entity home i don't think he would use that word right (laughs) frightened by the ridicule that would almost inevitably okay i just have to say this here Humming of a UFO. And I say this every time I hear a Tesla drive by. Teslas make the sound that I imagine that UFOs would make. I don't oh, know. I think why. that's intentional. I think it's to make <laughs> it seem like a science fiction technology. Yeah, I don't know why, but every time I hear a Tesla, I'm like, that's exactly what I imagine a UFO to sound like. So then it could either in this story it could either be a UFO or Tesla driving by. Yeah, but this seems like it was well pre Oh, it probably was pre Tesla. Because it's sixty eight. It was yeah, 68. it was. A, was it? It was sixty-eight. You have such a good memory. Okay, so he was frightened by the ridicule that would almost inevitably accompany his account of this run-in with the vampiric varmint vegetable. <laughs> they they specifically went with alliteration on that one. The vampiric, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's quite odd some of the words that are used in this, and I'm quoting directly. These are not some of my words. Some of them are. I won't tell you which one. <laughs> That's true integrity right there. (laughs) Just in case I use some of my words wrong. And you don't like those ones. Exactly. (laughs) Frederick resolved to keep the story to himself and told his family that the wounds on his hand had been caused by a briar patch. Some years later, however, he found that he could no longer live with the secret and revealed the strange story. Okay, get this. Get how this story ends. (laughs) And revealed his strange story to an author paranormal investigator and occasional hoaxer by the name oh, good. Barker. What a twist. I feel Today. like we meet, need to do an episode on Gray Barker. <laughs> he seems like quite the character based on that one he sentence. Does. I know. It is so important to the story that we said occasional hoaxer. To date, the 1968 encounter is the only sighting of the vegetable man. Okay, huh. what a what a wild ride that episode was. Yeah, jeez. Speechless, I know. <laughs> I did such a good job on this. One. I 
if you have to run into one, I, I think it's got to be the Loveland Frog. I would choose, yeah, I think I would choose the Loveland Frog too. There's something just like whimsical about him and his wand. Well, and, and there's no like loving whispers. embrace that happened there. Yeah. His yeah. bar whispers. <laughs> <sighs> yes. Those are my stories. I would say, like, I have so many questions, but I know there's no answers. There's none. There's none. And in most of these cases, well, two of them for sure. Love, Lamb, Frog, there was more than one incident and encounter. But for the other two, they are, they are just they are one-offs. solo yeah. one-offs. Never to happen again. And I think at least we got one follow-up episode possibly from Gray Barker coming from this. Yeah, I have him up, so I'm going to add him to the list. Because why not? Why the hell not? Why not throw Gray Barker on there? The occasional what if he's related to Bob Barker, brother? It never came up. <laughs> Can't say it No, that, that'll up. be something to look into for the actual episode. And that that's my episode. Well, Chelsea, thank you so much for this episode. I know I'll be very happily sipping on my sherry, talking about the finer things in life, and just happening to mention a vampiric vegetable varmint that <laughs> lovingly embraced and penetrated a man in the woods. <laughs> yeah, I like that that's the theory of the story that you're going to focus on for that yeah i mean and there will be likely be more like because they will have more <laughs> questions i have to assume but that's how you intrigue and and for those of you listening for etiquette purposes for black tie affairs you bring people into your stories with intrigue so that they feel like they can't leave this story <laughs> And for that, you are welcome. Uh, we are here for our higher society tips. For the most part, I think that's what at the end of the day this podcast is all about. <laughs> it's true. That's our mission statement. <laughs> that is quite often forgotten. No, that's though. our secret mission statement. Don't <laughs> oh, tell them fuck. That. Yeah. I said the quiet part loud. And for that, we have to end the episode now. I have been Taylor here with Chelsea. Okay, we are Journey Trip with Range. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Journey to the Fringe. If you have liked what you have listened to, please like, share, subscribe, or follow, depending on what venue you are listening to us through. Also, please, if possible, leave a five-star review, as that really helps us in the algorithms. Should you wish to interact with us, please check us out on your social media of choice. I bet you we are there. And if you really want to communicate with us and give us ideas for new episodes, or tell us that we're wrong and terrible, either way, please send us an email at journeytothefringe at gmail.com. For now, I'll see you in the next episode.